Well, good morning. If this is your first time here, I am Pastor Bob Bartlett. Welcome to Submerged Church. It's a great day to be alive. It's an even better day to be alive in Christ. And Tyler, since you brought it up, uh, a quick poll. How many have seen their first sign of spring uh, this year? Just about everybody? Dan, you haven't? <laughs> well, I haven't yet. Some of you, well, it's the geese flying north or it's the robin running across the ground. But for me, the first sign of spring is I, I stop wearing my long underwear, which you can see I have them on. And secondly, uh, I don't know what it is, but in the wintertime, my nose drips uh, constantly. Uh, so spring is not here yet, contrary to what Tyler says, and, uh, but it's good to be here. Um, I shouldn't be, but once again, uh, God showed himself mighty in preparation for this message. Uh, I really was blown away, actually, by how God worked and moved uh, to bring this word. It's interesting, the song, the second song we sung, Not My Will But Yours Be Done. Do we have any scholars and know where that is found in the Bible? That's okay. Don't. Huh? Matthew 26, 39. And the reason why I'm particularly familiar with that and the root of this message uh, that's been my life verse for this year. I go before the Lord every year, and I just kept being unctured about living more surrendered, living more surrendered, the will of God and the road less traveled. And I, I pray uh, what to speak and, uh, for a few weeks, and then God led me uh, to what I want to talk on this morning. But what he did in the midst of preparing for this message was Really cool, really exciting, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Paul writes in Colossians 1.9, after the salutations and the greetings in Christ, for this reason, since we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So off the bat, Paul's prayer and God's will that you and I are filled with all spiritual wisdom, insight, and understanding. Uh, this verse, Colossians 1, 9, actually is what I pray every morning over all of my family members. Uh, and there's a few more, but this one in particular. We're going to examine history today because if we don't learn from history, history often repeats itself. And for the believer in particular, we need to learn from history. So we're going to be looking at the problems with the church at Colossae. We're going to learn life lessons of faith, foundational truths, and most importantly, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and live with the power and authority that we have in Jesus Christ in these perilous times. As it was for Epaphras and Colossae, so it is today. And I don't need to remind you, we talk about it often here, the perilous times we're living in. So the church in Colossae began during uh, Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 17, Paul fills that in. Paul was not the founder of the church at Colossae, uh, but rather Epaphras was. Epaphras had gone uh, to uh, 
Rome for an extended visit. While there, he got saved under Paul's preaching, stayed there for a number of months, uh, and then went back to Colossae and started the church. Years later, uh, a dangerous a dangerous heresy or multiple uh, heresies began to arise and attack and threaten the church. And Paul got news of this. He was deeply concerned. Uh, he was disturbed. And so he called for Epaphras to come and visit with him. And Paul begins in chapters 1 and 2 what we call the great defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth and the power. But ultimately, he makes it clear in chapter 2 and verse 4 the purpose of this epistle is church, hold the line. When he writes in Colossians 2, 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. You know, that's one of the things that is so prevalent in a lot of churches today are fine-sounding arguments, but they're not grounded or based on the truth and the authority of the Word of God. To understand how alarmed Epaphras was, we have to understand how far he had to travel uh, when he went to visit Paul. And I've got a map up there. Uh, Geographically, it's about 1,180 miles, over 1,100 miles, and he would have had made two boat trips along the way to get from Colossae to Rome. So we can, just from this alone, we can infer uh, how much uh, he was bothered by these attacks coming on the church. So what was the specific heresy or attack? Well, the reality is uh, we, can, we can take our pick because it was multiple fronts, the first of which is what we now call Gnosticism. Uh, It was something that the Greeks brought in through their philosophies of attainment and enlightenment. It was a secret higher knowledge, higher than the Word of God revealed, higher than Scripture, and even higher than Jesus Christ. Uh, And it was this so-called higher knowledge that could prove and was necessary for enlightenment and salvation, uh, a very dangerous lie, a very dangerous heresy, that Jesus was just merely one of a series of divine revelations from God, but he was not God, and he certainly was not the Messiah. Secondly, a lot of Christians were being tempted to embrace some aspects of Jewish Old Testament law, namely that one had to be circumcised. If you were a believer, you still had to be circumcised to be saved, as well as observing different dietary ritual celebrations. And Paul strongly refutes that in chapter 2. And as well, there was a, a practice called asceticism, which is this doctrine of severe self-denial, that we had to rid ourselves or be released from the bondages of the body, and only then could we have fellowship with the divine. And then lastly, if if that wasn't enough, Colossians at that time was on a major trade route, and it was being influenced by a lot of Eastern mystical forms of religion, cults, pagan worship, pagan sacrifices, and the the list almost is endless. They even had in that practice the worshiping of creation, that the river had spirits and trees had spirits. Well, that's simply our modern-day Earth Day, isn't it? 
Uh, we worship the creation rather than the creator. And so we need to understand, even though this is 2,000 years ago, the church at Colossae perfectly, perfectly mirrors or images who we are today here in Fargo, North Dakota. We live amongst a plethora of multicultural ideas and ideals, allowing, excuse me, the great challenge amidst all of this false doctrine, all of this false religion, a great challenge certainly for a new believer and even the veteran to keep their head, to keep their wits about them, about amidst all these fine-sounding arguments. I love how Paul puts that so well. All dogs may go to heaven, but all roads don't lead to heaven. And that lie is alive and well today. I did some research this past week, and the newest survey by Probe Ministries, a Christian ministry, 70% of Christians, those who profess they are born again, have put their faith in Jesus Christ. 70% do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Incredible. And I simply say this, if you do not know the Word of God, you can never know the will of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. Both Paul and Jesus Christ declare there are no shortcuts, no substitutes, and certainly no exceptions, no other way to God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14 through 15, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Ah, they come into our church. But when you reveal, when you take back the wool, Jesus says you've got a wolf there. You've got a wolf. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and I can only imagine how he must have longed for uh, and, and deeply moved uh, to hear of this news that these dear brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae were facing some uh, unbelievable attacks on the church. But rather than define and identify and refute the lies, Paul simply, wisely, holds up the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, with powerful imagery and sound doctrine. And so if you're here this morning and you want to live grounded, you want to live with great faith, you want to live with confidence, you want to live with boldness, you want to live with assurance, you want to live uncompromising, unapologetic, unashamed, if you want to live with absolute certainty, which is the will of God for us, then we have to be grounded in Jesus Christ and the book of Colossians. Might be a good time for you to reread it. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I had the opportunity to share a little bit uh, this week uh, with, a, with a man about how long I've been pastoring and uh, just got talking about my duties. And one of the things I enjoyed most was college ministry. And I got to oversee college ministry for 10 years. And uh, Tyler and Becky, pre-marriage, uh, for two summers, part of that whole college ministry, we went over and stayed in Bemidji for the summer, and we did outreach there and shared the gospel and service projects 
Uh, and I always love it. Uh, I'm participating in a Bible study with young people on Tuesday evenings. Uh, some friends of mine invited me into that. Uh, and it's just, it always blesses me to see young people seeking after Jesus and seeking after a deeper faith. But there's one thing, being in campus ministry, if I've been asked once, I've been asked a uh, hundred times without exaggeration, how can I know the will of God? Or what is God's will for my life? And maybe you're here this morning and you're even asking that question. Well, I think we'll have the answer this morning, but I want to warn you. If you're committed to the will of God, you better be ready. You might want to be careful because you never know where the will of God will take you. You'll never know where the will of God will call you to be, uh, like being a pastor. Many of you know that was never my desire when I first became a believer and I just, uh, I was devouring the word. I was seeking after God and once in a while somebody would drop this, oh, you should be a pastor and you talk about being struck in the heart with fear. And honestly, I could say I prayed to God on more than one occasion, Lord, you know I love you and I want to serve you. I'll do anything but that. Uh, but kept seeking and God kept revealing his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're going to look at four points. Uh, the meat of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 this morning. The will of God and the road, as Jesus said, the narrow road, less traveled. Paul writes, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the will of God, to be filled with the, the will or with the knowledge of the will of God, first is to know Jesus Christ and to be found in him. Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of God's will for you and I, for every human being on this earth, to know Jesus Christ. Paul, in his epistle to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's encouraging Timothy uh, and the church there to pray and make intercession for all men, kings and rulers and everything like that. Why? This pleases God who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I see some really uh, nasty politicians and, and some real ugly stuff. And, you know, I'm like uh, Peter and, and James when they wanted the Lord to strike them with fire uh, on, the ra on the road to Samaria. Uh, but that's not God's will. In fact, God's will in Ezekiel says, I don't delight in the death of the wicked, but rather they repent and come to the knowledge of God. But God's will is that every human being walking the face of the earth would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And more importantly, or as importantly, being found in him in an ever-growing, deepened personal relationship. This is 2 Peter 3.8. This is another verse I pray over all of my family members and the church too. That we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, so many uh, people get off on the wrong track when we talk about the will of God, the road less travel, and are believed or deceived into thinking that success 
is the will of God for my life. Or meaning is found in things in this world. But the reality is, Jesus is the pinnacle of success, of meaning and purpose. It's a God wiring every human being to ask for the meaning of life or to want to know what is the meaning of life. And unfortunately, since the dawn of man, uh, many cults, many false religions, and a thousand and one self-help gurus are trying to distract us from the meaning of life. The meaning of life, the meaning for life is simply Jesus Christ. He is the will of God that you and I know him and are found in him. Secondly, in verse 10, Paul writes that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. To be filled with the knowledge of the will of God is to live a fruit-bearing life that is pleasing to God. Bearing fruit pleases God. And that's the life we're called to, a fruit-bearing life. John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not chose me, but rather I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, good fruit that will last, so that you may ask the Father for anything in my name, and he will do it. And that initial fruit is the fruits of the Spirit. Paul did a great job over, was it two weeks or was it three? I, four weeks, I'm sorry. Nobody can remember what pastor said last week. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen? The fruit of sanctification. You know, that sounds like some big holy word. But do you know all it means is living set apart? Set apart. Not of this world, but of God. The fruit of sanctification, which also includes or embedded in it, is the fruit of surrender, of sacrifice, and service. Everything that goes against the will of man. Amen. As we sung this morning, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, that he said to all, all comers, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself. There is the surrender. He must take up his cross. There is the sacrifice. And he must follow me in a life of servitude. Amen? In that we will bear fruit. Uh, interesting too, not by coincidence, but I was, I'm reading in the Psalms, and about a week and a half ago, I read Psalm 92:14, and it warmed my heart. The psalmist says, and they will bear fruit in their old age. Now, I'm old, but God is still using me, and God still wants to use you. He wants us to be fruit-bearing from birth to death. There's no retirement. I like to call it the repurposed life, Right? You save up some money and you get there. Now you're ready to serve the church full time. Amen? I get grilled all the time when we were down in Florida for the Frozen Four hockey tournament, just talking about what I had going on. And my sister-in-law said, Bob, I thought you retired. I said, no, I never said that. I never used that word. I call it the repurposed life. To be filled with the knowledge of God is to bear fruit. And here's the really cool part that happened 
the week I was preparing this message, which was a week ago, on Tuesday, April 18th. We're in the, my wife and I are sitting home, and she got a phone call, and it was from Sherry Warren, a gal that lives down in Fort Myers Beach. We met Jerry and Sherry 10 years ago when we bought a place down there, and we went down for our first time ever in August for our anniversary, and Jerry and Sherry were renting there, and we kind of befriended them and took them under our wing in, in some ways. I, I got involved with a little bit of counseling and helping them steer through some hurdles in their marriage, but it was clear uh, that Jerry wanted nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every time I tried to talk to him about anything deep, he'd always deflect. You know, he liked to drink. So many people like to drink and party. Uh, when they retire, and I can't understand that. Uh, but anyway, this past Tuesday, Sherry called, and she said, hey, I've got some exciting news, and she puts Jerry on the phone. And Jerry shares how he has come to Christ. Uh, yeah, hallelujah. Ten years later. You know, i got to be honest. Sometimes when I go down to Florida, like, I just, wanna, I just don't want to do any ministry. Right? I just want to go with this, relax in the sun, go to the beach, ride my bike, and whatever. But you know, God's always putting people in our lives. And I loved it. I wrote this down. He said, I feel like a little schoolgirl, his faith in Christ. He's so excited about his newfound faith in Christ. And we, uh, we laughed and we got teary eyed, but. Uh, yeah, we're still supposed to bear fruit in our old age. Number three, Paul writes in verse 11 and 12, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You know, I was going to put it, I'm going to back up to number two there again just for a minute. You know, talking about going down the floor and I just don't want to do ministry uh, have you ever had that where like, ah, I just, I just don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be involved, uh, and things like that. Uh, just so you know, we, we pastors are human too. Uh, but we come back to the truth to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Number three is to live an empowered life. And Paul goes into more detail about this power in chapter two, but an empowered life of endurance, patience, joy, and thankfulness. Much like the martyrs as they were being led off to the gallows or to the grave. Living, empowered, thankful, and joyous. See, they understood that Christians, we hold the brightest and the most glorious future. Amen? And everything in this life and everything in this world, it's all temporal. It's all temporal. And we need to remember that. We're to finish strong. We're to finish well. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Say that with me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, God's will is you and I finish strong with endurance and perseverance in our old age, busting through that finish line at heaven's door. Not like many he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.19 that Christians who abandon, who abandon the faith 
and abandon the word of God and so become shipwrecked. I've been in this 30 years. I've seen a lot of shipwrecked Christians. A lot of shipwrecked Christians. A lot of times it can just start with one little lie. I've seen a lot of marriages disintegrate because of one little lie. Somebody believing a lie. You see, whenever we're off the path, somewhere along the line, we started believing a lie. And that led us to fear. And that leads us to doubt. And that leads us to unbelief. And that leads us to disobedience. We stop believing the power and authority of Jesus and the Word of God. And we're supposed to finish well with patience. That's probably my my Achilles heel, is patience. Waiting on God. And He doesn't act in my timeline. Anybody else feel like that? You know, I, I remember one time Jerry and I were down the beach and he was flying his kites and I was just sharing Christ with him, pouring my heart out and yeah, that's good for you and just kept flying his kites and it's like, Lord, just like a lightning bolt strike his kite and boom, come down and, and waken him up. No, patience. God's ways and God's timing. For us, all things work together for good. For the unbeliever, we know a day of judgment is ahead. And then joy and thankfulness. Joy is that internal, overwhelming sense of contentment and peace. Paul did a great job on that uh, in the fruits of the Spirit. But what does it mean? That we live with confidence. We live with patience. We live with joy in the Lord because we know that God's in charge. But the key is, and Paul tells us, the key to joy is living thankful. Living thankful and being thankful. I read this when I was pursing through the Psalms as well. Let us come before the Lord with thanksgiving. We talked a little bit about that on Tuesday night and how uh, God really has a disdain for complainers and winders. We talked about Numbers 13, how he struck down 21,000 whiners and complainers in the nation of Israel. We possess joy by living thankful, by being thankful. It is the best way and the only way for Christians to live. But you know what? More and more secular studies are pointing out this truth as well. And I've just got a few stats from a study done by Penn State. They would had these uh, two different test subjects or test groups, and one group was to live thankful and grateful. They had to write down three things every day. At the end of the day, what they were thankful for, they had to recite seven things they were thankful for every week. And at the end of this six-month study, the thankful people they found were happier, were healthier, they live longer, they're more optimistic. Don't you just love when our world catches up with God's truths? and proves what we already know. So are you blessed with joy? Then bless God by being thankful. And if you don't know what to be thankful for, well, you can read your Bible. And, but I'll just give you a little hint. Uh, this, is, this is something I, I pray every morning when I wake up. This is the day the Lord has made. I thank God for life. 
He's my creator. He's my sustainer. I thank him most of all for life in Christ, that through the finished work of Christ, I am saved. You are saved from sin, from death and hell, that our guilt, shame, and condemnation was taken away and nailed to the cross with Christ. Paul will uh, speak on that in Colossians 2, that the blood of Jesus Christ purifies, sanctifies, and justifies you and I so we can stand before the Lord holy and blameless. That's what we looked at this week in our youth study. That we stand before God holy and blameless. That we have the Holy Spirit of God sealed in our hearts to convict us when we're wrong, when, we're, when we've committed sin, but also to guide us and lead us in all truth. And when we die, we pass from the mortal life to the eternal life because we have the gift and the promise of eternal life and will dwell in the house of God forever. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? If you want to be filled with joy, learn to express thankfulness to God. And lastly, verses 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And here's where things really begin to change. To be filled with the knowledge of the will of God is to live and proclaim the gospel of Christ. We who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, we who have been brought into the glorious kingdom of his son of light, it's now our time. We're supposed to see now what God sees. Those who aren't in Christ, they're blind. They see, but they're blind. They hear, but they're deaf. And they cannot understand. They do not know the way of God. They're alive, but they're dead. And the reality is they're dead in their sins and their trespasses and their offense against God. And that's what God wants us to see in the world around us. I see dead people. God's will is that you and I commit to and are committed to the redemption of lost souls. To fully appreciate that, Paul writes to Philemon in 1.6 when he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. I pray that you may be active in sowing your seeds. Even when you don't feel like it, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will come to a full understanding of everything good we have in Christ Jesus. You see that? to fully appreciate. God is telling us to fully appreciate the gospel. We have to give it away. You see, it means something then. It means something when we are committed, when we have conviction to give it away. And that's our call. Whether we're 15 as Ryan, I thought he was 16. He told me he's 15. Or whether you're 68 or whether you're 75 to commit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give it away. We cannot, here's the good news, we cannot and we will not be stopped from life in God's perfect will if we make Jesus Christ our one great desire and our one great delight to be found in him and he in us. And Tyler already stole my thunder, but because I'm a poet at heart, thank you, uh, I close with this. The will of God and the road less traveled, let it be the only life for me. Let's pray.
Father, you know, uh, you know, or you knew what life was like in Colossae, a whirlwind of lies and false religions and cults and multicultural uh, false religions. It was all around then. It's all around us today. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to get discouraged, Lord. But let us see Christ high and lifted up. Let us see him uh, sitting on the throne of God, waiting to come back, but wanting all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of Christ. God, only let us be renewed in our hearts and our minds, our thinking, our understanding, and obedience, Lord, to live out the perfect will of God and walk the, the road less traveled. In Jesus' name, amen.